Welcome back, team. Uh, super excited to have you on today's podcast, primarily because our guest, whilst one of the few himself, is also fully invested in helping others on that journey become one of the few. And I think what's really interesting about today's podcast is really looking at some of the drivers in life that get us to the point where we're able to make that step from want to do and to have. And equally, is it a nature thing? Is it a nurture thing? Some of the complexities of uh, helping us take the goal from being just out of reach to within reach. So without any more uh, from me, uh, let's welcome him now. Welcome to the Few Podcast. Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. I have a dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn what it takes to turn your dream into reality. Don't be afraid to dream big. But remember, dreams without goals are just dreams. This is The Few with Boo. Chaz Wolf. Chaz, hey, thanks so much for joining me on The Few Podcast. Really appreciate it. My man, Boo. I appreciate you. The second conversation, it was a pleasure having you on my show, and and we get to do round two here. Yeah, man, it's awesome. I mean, that was all about me, and I'm always uncomfortable having that conversation, much more comfortable <laughs> having a conversation, which is... Uh, which is all about you. Look, Jez, first question for you is obviously as an entrepreneur, I just had dinner last night with the, the guy I bought this company off and we were talking about entrepreneurs, right? And we're talking about business owners and we're talking about different generations. And for me, you being a business owner is always about kind of you're always on, you're always running the business each day as if you're about to go to business. And it's not something that is kind of onerous. You, your whole life ends up blended around it. Whereas the concept of entrepreneurs and work-life balance, there seems to be a bit of a thread. Maybe it's a entrepreneur thing. I don't know what it is. But in your mind, do you believe that anyone can be an entrepreneur or do you believe there's a certain mental kind of paradigm that people are entrepreneurs or they are not? Yeah, that's interesting. Even just the way that you framed that. I think that the answer is what I'll say now, but then I'm going to give you like a distinction underneath is that there are certain profiles. I use a personality assessment pretty heavy into understanding psychology and just different personalities and even preferences. Using all of that in my mind, the answer to your question is yes, anybody can do it. Are there certain folks inclined to what it takes to be successful as an entrepreneur? Sure. Yes, 100%. There are certain characteristics that it takes to be successful in a business versus being successful as an employee, if we're just comparing entrepreneurialism versus you know being an employee. So yes, there can be a way for any profile or any human to learn how to, uh, to do those things. Will it be a challenge for everybody? Yes. Will it be a challenge for some people to modify themselves in a way that really moves the needle? Yes. And that's where I think that if some folks are maybe just honest with themselves, what do they really want? And maybe it's not actually the entrepreneurialism that they want. They want the result of said thing. And they could actually go get that inside of a business working for a guy like you or me. I think it's a really powerful statement there where so many people think that and people may be fantastic employees, fantastic in the corporate environment. They're like, hey, I'm going to go out and start my own business. I'm going to compete with what I do here. I'm going to better, better, faster and smarter. And the statistics are most of those ventures fail. It's not as easy to do as uh, people make it out to be, or maybe it seems on the outside. It's a little bit 
people sometimes get seduced by the movie and, and realizing that when you spend three hours watching Oppenheimer, you've seen a dramatized version of a very complex, huge life. And the window into entrepreneurialism through social media is a little bit like the movie, not the real story. What I'm interested in doing though is unpacking your journey because looking into who you are and what you do, there was always a connection with growth. There was always a connection with work ethic, a connection with adversity. I mean, you're brought up by a single mom. So, you know, what was it about? You didn't particularly choose to go down the grades, A's, sure. straight A's at school, into college, into the Ivy Leagues right. as your journey to become one of the few. So what was that like? Unpack that kind of early, those early years and that pathway, you know, and how that, what that means to you today. I think the important thing that you've said is that you've mentioned several success principles that can be applied, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're W2 or you're an Ivy League specialist or analyst or whatever, whatever we're, we're comparing here. I think that the hard work, the focus, the determination, the ability to desire more or have a growth mindset, like all of those things apply no matter what the listener is more inclined to or what they do currently. So I think that for me specifically, being an entrepreneur is funny because my profile inside the assessment can actually be a great number two, or it can be a great number one. It's just like rocket fuel with uh, Gino Wickman and EOS and traction. There's about 5% of people who score for a visionary and an integrator, and that's my profile. And it's super interesting that I can see the vision and do the little detail I can build the machine. And so that's a blessing, but the curse in that is that sometimes I get stuck down in the weeds when I need to be up here where most visionaries or most business owners can see the vision for miles. They just need a team to kind of help them get there, the actual implementation of it all. And so I set that up to say that like I learned all of those things by being raised by the single mom. Like I saw her work in two and three jobs my whole life. Work ethic, a standard of excellence. And I know there's some scenarios where a parent works hard, but maybe doesn't have standard of excellence. Like those two things, they're very, very specific. And they went together in my house. Like it was single mom and she couldn't always maybe purchase the thing that I needed, but I was for sure, I had a structure. Like when I came home, it was homework and I better be getting good grades. Otherwise I wasn't playing basketball and I was definitely wasn't going to go play with the friends. There was always like a very systemized structure and a standard of excellence. Well, that's the only way day-to-day life would have worked, right? If you're that busy as a mom, you just have to have a system or it's just not going to work, right? Yeah. And I think most moms probably have that, you know, looking in on a single mom scenario, it just looks 10x more chaos because you don't have a uh, help. And so, yeah, inside of that, that's carried through to everything that I've done, whether it was school when I was getting good grades, because you're right, I didn't go to an Ivy League or, you know, I didn't finish college. And so the desire there wasn't to perform in that way. The desire or my growth mindset was more focused on what can I create? And this is where I think most entrepreneurs kind of lean towards is how, what can I create? What can I do for myself or for my family? Not necessarily in like a selfish way, but in a I'm creative. I want to build something. I want to maybe have something that has either my name on it or that my children can be proud of. Or I'm just mentioning several things that drive entrepreneurs, whether it's a small mom and pop decking company or a giant, you know, company that we know of as this, you know, billion dollar company that started way back in the day from one single entrepreneur. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it is interesting though, in terms of you speak about the difference between knowledge and the way that knowledge is consumed. And I think for a lot of entrepreneurs. The challenge with college and university, I mean, I did six weeks myself and then left. It's <laughs> its not what you learn, it's how you're taught it, I think. 
it's that structure as often as people say that university invites challenge it doesn't really it's no. you still have to read the books everyone reads regurgitate the knowledge right and you're not till you're in a master's or a thesis or a phd where you actually start to get the wheels coming off and I think with a, yeah. you know being able to pursue your own learning journey on your own time and you sort of said that desire to perform and i think that's the key right like yeah i mean you sound like you're a little bit adhd mate with the whole vision and the detail and pulling all that together oh look at sorry sorry to interrupt but uh Ginny has just been proposed to there is an airplane flying right past <laughs> my window ah, uh, congratulations like, yeah, out of the sky so Ginny's going to have a great day just before christmas that's awesome sorry, uh, speaking of adhd uh, yeah so, um, so in terms of that though what I find really interesting about successful people is they never really have a, a black and white destination. They have a destination. You're, you've done a number of programs and started a number of businesses and flipped them. And in the moment, there's always a very clear idea of the goal. But once it's achieved, it's like, oh, I need another one. I need to reset that. I need something. I'm done with this. This is no longer a challenge. Whereas other people, their whole life is maybe a house and that's it. That's, that's They've got yeah. one goal and they'll grind it out very, very Good on them. I mean, it's, it's fantastic to have that that kind of mindset there as well, to be able and patient to grind that out. But what is it about that process of here I have nothing, I'm trying to get to something, I get to something, and I'm really more than happy to go back to nothing? Yeah. Well, you asked a couple of questions there that I think are really, really important. The desire for more and the never-ending satisfaction of that, I think that the majority of people hear that and go, well, that you know, it sounds greedy or you need to find contentment, you need to find peace. And that person who doesn't think very big, let's just call it what it is, when they think bigger, it makes them stressed out or worried or makes them feel like maybe self-conscious or they have self-doubt. And so it all of these things, a lot of fear brings them right back to, okay, well, this is what I'm comfortable with. I can go achieve this. And so that's why I'm going to stay right here even though I might be going to a job that I hate, even though I might be living in a home that I really don't really like, or I'm just telling myself it's good enough for my family, it's very just safe. And that's how we're wired. I mean, think back just a thousand or 2000 years ago or four or 5,000 years ago, it was eat and stay warm and stay away from harm. And proliferate. Yes, exactly. So like outside of those four functions, what was success? Well, that was success. And, and in order to be successful doing that, fear of all of those things helped that person win. And so I think it's like innately in most of us to fear and to think like, hey, this is enough. Like we're we're good. We'll go out tomorrow again because that's how we've always like, you know, for thousands of years. For us to want more sounds, I think, to maybe not the few, like crazy and how dare you want more or what makes you special or, you know, I'm sure people have thought about those things. I'm sure people have thought those things about me. And so I guess what my response to that would be, because there's two things that happen in this. One is that the actual desire for more, which I think is super healthy. And I think that actually how God created us is that we are creators. We are designed to expand. Everything in creation expands and grows and multiplies. Everything. Well, it's fundamental principle. It's exactly theory. A hundred percent. And if you opt out of that, you kind of you hop off the program, right? And work, exactly. Life doesn't work for you. You got to kind of get with the program. We're not. At, we're not in alignment at that moment. But you know, so if if I'm made this way, but I'm if I look at my life and I'm not actually creating and going after more and more and more, it's because I'm not thinking big enough, or I'm fearful, or there's limitations there. Okay, fine. So over here on the few. That person wants more, but I think that there's a beautiful place to want more, but also in the moment, be okay or be thankful. I have a phrase that we use inside Gathering the Kings called grateful, but not done. 
And there's this beautiful place. I think all things actually stem back to gratefulness. And so when you can be in a place of gratefulness, like truly, like I can be here, even if it's for 30 seconds and wow, like look at all that we've done. That includes look at the failures, look at the places where we came out of, or look at the places maybe we're still stuck in. I can be stuck in this moment. And if I have gratefulness to me, that's the hope or the courage or the light at the end of the tunnel. And so you always have to have gratefulness, period, no matter what stage, the up or the down that you're in. But even more so when you've been successful and you still want more, if it's on the back of gratefulness, I use the example of elk hunting. I'm a huge elk hunter. Love to elk hunt with my bow in the West. We go out to the mountains and we'll go up, like up, up. Okay. And we're like, we're hearing elk and we're like, we're making moves. You know, we got to like, you know, hike all week or all, all year to prepare to hike up these mountains. Like I'm in shape to do this 40 pound pack bow. Like we're making it happen. And you go up to you, what you think is the top. And if you've ever been in any sort of mountain scenario, you know that there's multiple false tops. Yeah, always. <laughs> always. And it's funny now that you realize it, but when you get there in the moment and you're like really trying to make a move on this elk and <laughs> you realize that you're not even close to the top and he's beat you because they can just move faster. And so you sit down for a second because you realize that if you keep going, you're going to fall over. So you sit down for a second and you just, you take in the view and you're like, yeah. oh, this is beautiful. We're out in the wilderness. Like, this is incredible. Thousands of acres that you can see and miles sometimes you can see from a mountaintop. Well, there's, there's two elements to that though, isn't there? Because they say happiness is deferred gratitude. That the fact you spent a year getting ready, you're right. training, you're preparing, the elk is elusive. That part, once the hunt is over, that brief it's elation, it's, yeah. that's it. You don't have it anymore. You've enjoyed it for a whole year. You have to reset it. You have to reset a goal that's to right. be fundamentally happy. That's right. And that's the desire for more. But even in the process of, well, I got an elk last year, let's just say, but I, I can be grateful for that elk. I can be like, man, I can remember that trip. And man, that, like that moment was so powerful. And I was with my dad or, you know, whatever the scenario was, but I want to go again this year. <laughs> and so that moment of pausing and looking out to the proverbial view, whether you're actually on a mountaintop or not is gratefulness and going, wow. I'm so grateful for now, whatever this is around me, my family, my current situation, whether that's good or bad, I can be so grateful because even in the bad, I can find the things that are helping me or the things that are working on my behalf. And then I pick up my pack, I pick up my bow and we go up to the next, right? And so that's you re-signing up and getting the next goal. In fact, I would actually say the few probably have a really good job of resetting the target before the target is actually ever oh, realized. Big time. <laughs> The, the small win, right? And the expectation management that comes with being able to not redefine a goal, but to reset it and manage that expectation. If you look at the optimism bias and planning fallacy and all the various cop biases around yeah. us constantly setting ourselves up to fail due to unrealistic expectations. I think you're right. I think the great thing about wanting more or wanting to go to another level is that you're constantly failing along the way. And every one of those is the learning experience and predominantly, I think, learning about expectation management. But that's a good segue here when you're talking about not getting to the elk on, on the next mountain around failure, around an unmet expectation. I mean, you know, a lot of people view, you know, life where there's a divorce involved or a single fact. People view that through a lens of that there is some failure there and yeah. there there is a that lives with people for their entire lives. I mean, what have you experienced in life in terms of failure at both ends of the spectrum, like the profound, but also the micro, just the mini ones that what I kind of get, what causes the beige in life where people just kind of little things just never quite happen for them all the time. No one big thing. So maybe it takes on a bit of a life journey around a profound failure that you experienced. Yeah. And 
you know, how you deal with the smaller ones. So two questions. Yeah. Well, the big failures, you know, I think every successful person has several. I can think of a couple of businesses, one in particular, one of the franchises that I opened, I mean, it cost me two, $300,000 to start. I had it for about three years. It was at best break even. And so I was losing money, you know, all those years as well. And then I closed it. And that might just be like, oh, okay, yeah, up and down, no big deal. But like that was hundreds of thousands of dollars mm. gone. And I was in my 20s, you know? So it's like... <laughs> That's a hard one, right? That's a hard one to... Wait a second. And you said three years is not an insignificant portion of... It's yeah. 10, over 10% of your life at that point in time. Exactly. And even more so, I remember, you know, setting up the cameras and setting up the monitors up front in the storefront and installing these tables and doing all the things, right? That was my fourth location. And three years later, I shut it down. Now, part of that was a strategy because I could service that same area from my other location across town. And so there was like confidence in like, okay, I know I'm doing the right thing. I still lost all the money. <laughs> yeah. So shutting it down and taking pictures of it empty so I can, you know, send it to the landlord. And like, all of that was like, this is weird. Like, am I, am I supposed to be happy about this? Like, I don't know, man. The question though that you have is like, okay, does it take a failure of a, a several hundred thousand dollars gone to realize these things? No. I think that the small things to your point is that if you're paying attention, if you're living life intentionally, and that could be by goal planning, sure, goal setting, but it really could just be by clarity. I think that we miss the small things. I missed the thing even with the location because I just didn't have enough clarity. I had a goal, sure. At that time, I was trying to be the youngest franchisee with the most locations. Well, check. I did it. Yeah. But onto what? To, To not make money? Yeah. To what end? Yeah. Yeah. Like, so we have to always ask ourselves, like, what is it that we really want? And what is it that we're willing to do to get it? And I think that if we have more clarity on that, then it helps us actually not only identify the big, the big failures, but the small ones as well. Like I can think of small ones, little silly stuff that I've done in business or in my marriage or as a dad, you know, like Mm. now I'm just trying to be hyper aware, not hyper critical, hyper aware of each day, each week, each month, each quarter. And I'm always reflecting back because if I can be aware, I can make adjustments. And my expectation management there is I know I'm going to fail. I'm expecting to fail. Not like in the moment I'm hoping to make bad choices. I just know that on the backside of me making decisions, I'm going to look back and go, oh, bummer. I shouldn't have done that, but it's over. I can't do anything about it now. I can't do anything about the 300,000, 400,000, 500,000 that was lost. But what I can do now is I can drive three hours to that location. I can shut it down. I can sell the equipment and I can start servicing that location from my other location, which eventually will be more profitable. Yeah. That's what I can do now. So it's a control of what I can do now versus what I can't and clarity because clarity gave me the ability to go, okay, well, here's what I can control. This is what I go do. I think a couple of words you mentioned in that conversation, one is intentional and two is reflection. And I think when those two things come together, it's very powerful. I think a lot of people reflect in a very unstructured way and feed on anxiety, feed on uncertainty, and too too busy focusing on those, reflecting on what you can't control rather than reflecting on the things that you can control. Is that something that you kind of, you've always done or did you realize all of a sudden this was a good thing? I think that is one of the key to people who are particularly self-aware is they're really good at the honesty and integrity around that reflection. Hi, it's Boo here. If you're enjoying these episodes of The Few, please show your support by leaving a review. It costs you nothing and the more reviews we have, the better guests we can reach out and bring onto the show to help you close the gap between what you want and where you are today even faster and help you on your journey to become one of the few too. 
Yeah, I think that some of that is based on just the integrity that I was raised, the environment of which I was raised in that high level of excellence, not perfectionism. In order to have a high level of excellence, you have to be honest with yourself so that you can keep getting better. Because if you're not hitting the goal, if you're not getting the homework done, if you're not achieving the thing in sports, why? Mm. So let's, let's just take an honest look at it so that we can get better. And so I think there's a really healthy thing there, but there's also, these are success principles. Like, you know, I'm going right now back through Laws of Success, Napoleon Hill. It was released in like 1918. I mean, this is like 19 hours on my Audible of just one nugget after the other. And I and you realize eventually that all these success principles come back to this general philosophy. And this is one of them. It's like, why would I focus on the things I can't control? Well, it's dramatic and people like drama. People like emotions. People like to get sticky and like, you know, meddle with things that don't matter, right? Because I'm not yeah. clear. It's the gossip. It's the, look, it's the thing about, I think the world engaging in things it can't control is by investing in things you can't control, there's always an excuse to not get anywhere. To be where you are. You're always, you know, it's not my fault, right? So I think it's really powerful to, even when I was trained as a fighter pilot and no one ever tells you that, but the system teaches you to be that in your mid thirties and starting to reflect a little bit. And you're like, Oh yeah, that's right. That's what they did. That whole system was built to show us to be really good at the things we can do and to be really good at adapting quickly to things that we can't do. Because you're in Kansas City now, you're more kind of focused in Gathering of Kings and your work with entrepreneurs. But before that, I reflect on my own journey with entrepreneurialism, where it's more of a measured entrepreneurialism now rather than a frenetic entrepreneurialism, which I think in your 20s and goals like I want to be the best. I want to do this. And that's pretty much, you know, where we are with ego at that point of our life, right? And, totally. You know, for a lot of young entrepreneurs and people, I don't even try and maybe have a conversation beyond that. It's like, yeah, well, if that's just lean into that, eventually you'll realize that it's not all about you, but for now, great. Whatever it is that floats your boat. Yeah, there's steps uh, to that. Yeah. So what's your experience there with entrepreneurial journeys and, and maybe some of the mistakes you've made or what you've seen as people kind of, go from, I've spent my whole life as a lemonade stand entrepreneur. Now I'm old enough to register a business and spend some real money. Right. You know, some of the common errors that are made on that journey. And as a, as a more experienced entrepreneur now, how you would approach it again? Yeah. Well, I I think I can give you some philosophy as well as some actual examples. The philosophy is that we go through stages. There's a, a warrior stage for lack of better terms that you've just described. And then of course there's a king stage and after king there's sage. And in the warrior stage, really it's like, think about actual warrior, like in the war, in the battle, he's just trying to survive. Maybe he's concerned about guy on the left and guy on the right, but he can't actually think about more than that. He's literally got blood on him. He's advancing and he's just trying to get out of this battle today alive. And then maybe we go back to another one tomorrow. It's a very limited thinking, but it's necessary for bravery, for courage, for him to build belief systems. Like he's going to need all of that later to lead the entire army, right? Or to lead the entire country or nation or kingdom. And so as that person transitions to kingship, it becomes about other people. That is the main difference is like, I still need to be strong. I still need to be capable of danger or to be dangerous, capable of violence even. But what those things really equate to at the kingship level is that I'm now working through others. And that could be your family, your wife. It could be your employees, your clients, the impact of what you do on your community. There is a lot of impact that a single entrepreneur has and on a lot of people and that they don't realize. And there's a lot of weight that comes along with that. And the few, I think, again, just using your name here, I love it. But the few love that. They're like, hey, put it right here. 
I'll take all the weight. That's great. Yeah, give me that responsibility. 100%. And we eat it, right? Because that's what warriorship is too. Like, I want the responsibility. I'm going to go, I'm going to charge the hill. But at the kingship level, it's about the responsibility of others and the responsibility yeah. of power. And then eventually what happens is that, that that gets heavy. This is why now Gathering the Kings exists. Because at that stage where you've been the guy, you've been the king in this example, that the weight of the crown, if you will, the responsibility of power over the course of time gets heavy. And we already know entrepreneurs are alone. They make decisions alone. Like they don't have anybody else to talk to. Mm -hmm. Like everybody knows that. But the actual solution to that is when that king, like think again, old times, when he would get with other kings, when he had other allies, that's the only really other person that he could really talk about mm -hmm. kingdom strategies and war strategies and economy strategies and you know what, what's going on with the farmers and what's going on with this and like all the things. It's no longer one singular focus. It's the whole thing. Yeah. And I need to be able to discuss and relate to and be challenged by other people dealing with that same thing, which again, this is why Gathering the Kings exists as a peer group because that conversation is not happening in our worlds with anybody else. Like we can't have it with our wife. We can't have it with our employees, right? Because we don't want the stress of what we're dealing with on those. Oh, you, you just can't groups. put that uncertainty down. That's the issue, yeah. right? And that I think a lot of leaders get lost there. They find that very hard to, you know, hey, I'm meant to be transparent, but then I'm not meant to say things. And I think it's right. really uh, important point that you make there. Yeah, I can't give that. I'm not, for first off, I'm not going to give it to my wife. Now, my wife and I, we have a great relationship. I could give her anything that I needed to. And she would, if in the moment, if I framed it correctly, she would carry whatever weight I needed her to carry. But should I always give it to her? No, in my opinion. Yeah. Same thing with your employees. And so anyway, the point is, is that you need other kings. I mean, this is a big part of even just doing the podcast here. It's like us doing this thing right here is benefiting you and me and hopefully some others that are listening. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. I've sort of had this uh, epiphany lately where it's, there's this concept of me when I'm young, we when I'm, I'm not quite the king, but I'm the king's right hand. And then us, which is the collective good of humanity. You've got to pass through all the stages. And from a leader's perspective, you're leading people, you're leading outcomes, or you're leading in the moment, right? And that ability to have self-leadership, team leadership, and leadership across humanity. What I think is really interesting, though, I mean, I'd love to get your opinion on this because I look at, with all the resources we have today, and you look at some of the decisions that are being made from a leadership perspective, right? And, and I would say that there's a lot of suboptimal leadership occurring at the moment, given, again, the resources we have. Have you got an opinion on really where the world's at, where we're seeing all this polarization, where the aspiration of a united world, where we're all in harmony, just kind of seems to be more and more elusive? Or are you of the opinion we're just all just focusing on the wrong things and the good's there if we just refocus ourselves? Yeah, it's a great question. I've asked a similar question on my show, especially to some folks that are in some pretty high-level positions. I had a guy that builds 500 homes a year on the show a couple of weeks ago. Before that, I had a guy also in real estate, but has like 40,000 doors and, you know, and I asked these guys like, hey, real estate's kind of on the chopping block right now. Like, what are you thinking? And, um, you know, the one guy was like, you know, I have no clue. And this is the one probably of a few, you want know, to use their words again, who lasted through the 2007 through 2009 housing yeah. crisis. And he was a home builder then and still a home builder today, one of the largest in the country. And he gave some tactics on how to do that. But his answer was, I have no idea. But here are the success principles that I follow, no matter what I think is coming. So that way, whatever is coming, I'm successful. The second guy was like, look, man, I'm an immigrant, you know, and to be in America and to have the opportunities that we have now, like most Americans just don't have a clue what life looks like in other yeah, parts of the so world. True. So like he's super optimistic and super patriotic. He's like, America's the best country in the world. And I'm going to continue to press in. Now he's like, now my strategy might have to adjust, but like 
I've never been more excited about life and where things are going. He's like, who knows next year if something goes blips up, down, whatever. Like, even if we have a major crash, he's like, look, optimism will always win. Not blind optimism. Yeah. But optimism, like true, like I know I will figure it out, whatever it is that's coming. So that's what I would just breathe into your listeners is like, look, not who cares what's coming. Something is coming. I get it. I'm not in control of either one, whether it's up or down. But what can I do? I've used the example on a couple of pods where it's like, look, when I was young, there was a transition from Bush to Obama, and then it was Obama to Trump. And I've been a business owner basically that entire time. So Republican to Democrat to- Everyone always gets so nervous. They're like, oh my gosh, it's everything's falling apart. <laughs> you know you know what? Who's been winning that entire time? People that weren't concerned about it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know? So I don't mean to put your head in the sand and you know nothing's happening. But at the end of the day, control the controllables, make sure that you're making strategic moves. You know, the guy that was building 500 homes a year, he's like, look, man, have equity. He's like, I never not have 50% equity in anything that I own, whether it's a home or a vehicle or whatever. Like, that's how I weathered the storm. It's like, well, man, that's just a really good money management principle. Like, that's not anything profound. That's not a new investment strategy. It's just, hey, don't over leverage. Yeah, that's the key. And then when you are in that position, you're you're in a strong position to ride the upside there's a real, I mean, gosh, I just love the whole concept of yin and yang. I mean, it's it sounds cliched, but really it's so true. And I, and I think we feel it when we're out of balance, but we convince ourselves that we're not. We can feel when a stock market is in a bubble, but we convince ourselves, oh, based on the metrics of the and how the investment's tracking and the fundamentals and the and the floor, it's going to keep going up. Yeah, or in our business, we might be working with an obsolete product, right? Or we've done something for 10 years and it's always worked. And all of a sudden, it's slowly, we're slowly losing business. Or we never bothered to do a digital pivot and, and have a digital product or a digital market. And we tell these stories, right? Which is, well, you know, it's just, it's not the reality of what's going on right now. It's something else. It's just something, you know, I can't control. I mean, you must come along in the journey let's just call it what they are, the Walter Middies or the aspirational types. And I guess what I'm asking here is there's a lot of words that get thrown out in the personal development world, like positive self-talk, positive psychology, positive mindset, live outside your comfort zone. The challenge being, if you put someone outside their comfort zone has never been before, they're going to be terrified and afraid and then afraid to ever go there again or afraid to ever try anything new, right? So. So I actually am a firm believer that you should never go outside your comfort zone, just expand the ones that you're in. And equally, it's great wanting stuff and great being positive, but if you don't do the thing, it's not going to get there. What have you observed through your sort of peer networks, working in a franchise environment where there's obviously other franchises? Again, it's I love working with franchises because within that framework, everyone's doing the same thing. It's like a car race where everyone's driving the same car. So the quality of the driver is really the differentiator, right? That's right. So you, you would have some really unique insights around traits where their success just gravitates and accelerates and stories where it's purely down to the person that is not performing. So what yeah. would you say are maybe three core traits of people getting in their own way, but specifically around people that are well-intentioned but fail to execute? Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm going to try to give you, I'm going to try to give you some tactical stuff. We've been pretty high level. You know, the things that do work are timeless. Let me say, let me say the opposite first. The things that work are timeless. And again, you can go back to Thinking Grow Rich, Laws of Success by Napoleon Hill, you know, things like enthusiasm. <laughs> like, yeah, this is how people win is that you have a magnetic and pleasing personality and you have enthusiasm. So what's, what are the opposite of some of these things to be, you know, disciplined or to close loops? Well, it's to, to not be clear. 
right? I think I've already kind of mentioned that, but that's by far number one. If I'm just doing something with no aim, I'm doing something without any sort of real main purpose, just for the sake of it, I call it, well, I don't call it, but it's a phrase of drifting. And so if you're just drifting, mm. that where are you going to end up? So inside of that, I think that there's certain metrics around organization that kind of fit into the drifting, but, and you don't have to be super highly detailed and cross every team, dot every I, because a lot of successful people aren't, but they have to put people around them that are. And so everything that's successful is organized. And so if you don't have a focus, or as Napoleon Hill says, a definite chief aim or your definiteness of purpose, and you can't back it up with a plan, aka you're unorganized, you're not going to get anything done. And then the third thing would be what you said, which is action. So I'm just a non-action taker. I procrastinate. I get nervous around like, oh, I don't know, is this going to work? I'm overthinking it, or I just, I'm lazy. That's why people don't take action is because they either are overthinking it, they want to take action or the opposite. They don't want to take any action. So they just don't. And so, yeah, I would say those three, lack of aim, two, lack of organization or lack of plan, and three, lack of action, which is then broken down to either laziness or an overthinking. So if you flip that coin, have you ever come across anyone, especially, and I don't mean in a book or you know someone at arm's length, but I mean that you know that you felt that they just make success look effortless. And how did they do that? Yeah. I think that what you're referring to is that they were doing, working in their genius, working in their flow. You know, they were doing the thing that they were made to do. You know, we can put all these cliches around it, but in essence, that person has certain things that they were given, God-given things, and then they've learned some things, skills, personality, you know, uh, things naturally given and or learned can come together for a person. And I'll make this as a personal example here. Like I can sell and I have sold millions and millions of dollars of stuff as a salesperson before I was even an entrepreneur, but my profile is not a quote unquote salesperson. I had to learn to be extroverted or to have enthusiasm or to not mm-hmm. chop somebody's head off because I thought that they were an idiot mm-hmm. and I could show them exactly how they were an idiot because I'm you know, high intellect and be like, well, well, one, two, and three, you're an idiot. You know, like, well, yeah. that doesn't get you anywhere. Nah, camp. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I had to learn those things. And so as I learned those things, as I modified and pressed into those not God-given things, I became more successful in sales. As I became more successful in sales, you learn communication, you learn personalities and, you know, psychology and like how to formulate situations and frame things and well, that's helped me in my marriage and that's helped me in building businesses and teams. You know, some of the things that were given to me naturally is that I feel like whether it's integrity or just trustworthiness, like that's in me, I know. And so when someone else interacts with me, it's super authentic and they can know right away that like, they can trust me. And this is what's important to understand there as well is that the, again, the yin and yang of that, like having integrity and being credible also opens up a weakness in business, which is you think everyone else is like that and you learn the hard way. Yep. Well, I certainly did that. That is not the case. And people take it's advantage. Not. If you are focused and driven, well, you can also be neglectful as a flip side of that, right? Yep. And your family doesn't get the right attention and some of your fa- other foundational elements of a will-live life, you totally. disappear. So a book called The Resilience Shield, written by a couple of special forces guys in Australia. It's fantastic. And they're very high-performing doctors and special forces soldiers and psychologists. And they talk about resilience and how they always thought resilience was being tough. But resilience is the opposite. It's being able to live a life where you are the best version of yourself and the most in service to others and you're not stressed by it. That's resilience. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think that um, you know those things kind of play into for your listener of the, you know, the God-given, you know, whether it's resilience, 
or whether it's the ability for you to use the things that you've learned because you can learn resilience also, or all of the other things. You put those two things into motion to the best of your ability, whether that's in a particular vehicle or business or a particular role in the business. Yeah. And for me, that's what Gathering the Kings is, is like, I still have other businesses. I have a portfolio. We started a company earlier this year. We're, you know, where I built a team and we're remodeling and doing that thing here in Kansas City. And, and I love that, but I'm not in that business from a, like a day to day. Yeah. I'm visionary. I'm inspiration. I'm planner because those are my skill sets. And I love that. That's great. I'm working in my genius there. Over here with Gathering the Kings, I get to do that same thing. But with all these other businesses, I'm not invested in their business per se, uh, financially, yeah. but I'm invested into their success because that's what it means to be a member. It's like, no, we're invested into each other's success. So I get to work in my genius now. So if you look at me now, as opposed to maybe even five years ago, it wasn't that I wasn't successful then. I think I was successful, even financially successful, but I wasn't doing the things every single day that completely lit me up. Now, digress down to that. Like I run a podcast just like you. It doesn't necessarily fire me up to record 470 episodes in the last 20 months because yeah. <laughs> it was crazy over the last 22 months. We yeah. it, literally 460 or whatever it is. And so it's like, did that really fire me up? Well, no, not exactly. Because again, I'm a learned extrovert. But what fired me up was I get to meet some incredible people. And I know that by shaking some cool hands, Things will open up, whether that's either for my business or for me, personal growth or meeting cool people like Boo, like whatever the scenario is, shaking hands has never failed me. So that was one of the very first moves. I need to shake hands. Yeah, <laughs> and it's great. And, and the beauty about these podcasts and the way you have conversations is I always get off a podcast and it helps me reframe how I think of the world, how, how I explain some of my insight, where to find a book now to go and read. It's like, oh, okay. And I think that, we call it, so through kind of our programs and my experience, we just call it the power of the peer group, right? It doesn't have to be a CEO peer group like a Visti or entrepreneurial group like Gathering. Any peer group that has high trust, that has the other members' well-being and success is the biggest accelerator to oh, success yeah. that there possibly is. That group that covers your blind spots, that allows, has the confidence to say when you're not your best self, when you're making about this is why marriage is it's probably the number one quote unquote mastermind or peer group that you can have yeah. the mastermind principle is two minds working in harmony unto the completion or achievement of a definite aim okay well so like if i'm not in harmony with my wife working towards a specific thing of our life mission whatever that is then how could i even try to even do that in a business or let alone with other businesses it's crazy. Um, I mean, we do yeah. all of this research and degrees about running a business or being a great employee. And a lot of those roles we do for maybe, gosh, 10 years now, maybe as is like a real long-term tenure and a job or owning a business. And we get married and we have nothing. We just get drunk, meet someone, decide to have children. And, and there's like zero training. <laughs> zero training, zero effort. Like really, yeah. you know? And that's my story as well. Like, it doesn't mean that I treated my wife badly for the first few years, but when I look back on it, the last several years have been incrementally better because I was like, you know what? I'm not really intentionally ruling my marriage or my wife. Really, actually what it was, it was like a couple, several years ago, I had a, an identity change of I am a builder. I'm not just building businesses. I am a builder. So therefore yeah. I build my marriage. I build yeah. my family. Everything. I build my children. Like, yeah. So I get excited now. Just like I do in business and enthusiastic and obsessed about making money and building teams, I get the same dopamine hit from building my marriage or my family or my health because I've made those things equal on the I'm a builder scale. You know what I mean? But for you, you've created, you know, clarity of purpose there. You know, like we talk right. about clarity of goals and clarity of day to day, but, you know, clarity around the big question is as important because that's when you, 
you have that moment where you can choose to be frustrated or choose to not invest time. You're tired. Your kids are bugging you. And you're like, hey, but that's not who I am. I'm a builder. So I can flip that decision immediately into the who I am. And I think that's, again, just a really powerful concept for people to understand is the first reaction you have to something doesn't have to be the reaction. There is a window in time between the trigger, the input, and the response. And I guess if everyone understood that, probably we wouldn't have crimes of passion, domestic violence, wars. We wouldn't allow ourselves to go down those emotional kind of pathways. So again, mate, I think that's really powerful. And I think also in, in entrepreneurial world, interested to get your insight on this is when it comes to marriage and work, I mean, that is a blended life. There is no go to work, come home. Yeah. It is a blended life. And you're right. You don't, you don't have to blend the stress and blend the problems but you blend the storytelling and integrate them into the day and what oh, yeah. what happened. And my wife and I work together, so it's it's really cool because you- It's easier. Yeah, when you work together, you're again, just you spend the whole day sharing stories, right? So Totally. I think the thing that you, you're talking about working together, Julie and I don't work together. She doesn't work, quote unquote, in the businesses. But if you just zoom out a little bit, going back to your point, like when I have a clear purpose, that's not just me. We'll go back to kingship now. Who does that include? Well, first off, it includes my wife, then it includes my children, and then employees, their families, clients, you know, whatever. But that marriage piece and then the immediate family, my children, what's their role? What are they playing? Not in my business, mm-hmm. in where we are headed as a family. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm a builder, but what is my wife? What is this? What is that? So when we have a collective target, even though she didn't get on a sales call or run a podcast or manage a team today, we can still come together at the end of the day or at the end of the week and be curious about each other, how we're doing, how we're feeling, what the day was like, because we know that collectively we're on a mission to go a specific way. We have it defined generally. Yeah, Obviously, those things change over the course of time as children get older and seasons and stuff. But we're still, it's the same thing. Like you guys have collaborative targets in the business, which is great. But even for someone who's listening, who doesn't have that capability because their wife or their husband doesn't work in the business with them, it's the same function. It just raised up a little bit. Now we're talking about your life purpose, not the business purpose, because that's only one dimension. To your point, it's work-life obsession. It's not work-life balance. Balance doesn't exist, especially for entrepreneurs. And so it's not a nine to five scenario. We're just doing life in general. In fact, I say it like this, because I had a guy on the show probably a year ago now, but He's like, look, man, if you can't figure out how to make the distinction of AKA your business is a family member, as opposed to your business being a mistress, like just think about this for for a quick scenario. You have a mistress, you don't talk about her. Yeah. You're secretive about it. Nobody knows what's going on. It's like very just over here. It's elusive and you're always away, you know, focused on something else. Don't ask me about it. It's too complex. Just put a wall there. Yeah. Yeah. But if the business is a, another kid in the family and it sits at the table with you, everybody knows its name. We cheer for it when it has success and we grieve with it when it has failure. And everybody around the business or around the family knows what's going on because also we know what's going on with little Timmy and what's going on with little mm. Susie. And mm. it's part of it. That's what it looks like to be kind of all in or what I say, work-life obsession. You, you've have got you to have those little stickers areas. on the back of cars where they have the mom, the dad, the dog, the kids, yeah. <laughs> make another little one, like your, your brand name. Right? <laughs> exactly. It's <laughs> a, a business idea there. Look, just, just to wrap this up, we'll be speaking until Santa comes down the chimney. I guess we've touched on it before, but maybe even more personalized. The younger version of you, if you look to accelerate the journey or smooth some bumps, what's the top piece of advice you would go and give to pre slash post pubescent Chaz about 
getting to where you are today? Yeah, it would be to lower ego and ask for help or at least get myself around other people who could help me raise the bar. The bar was already high in my life and I was just the only one. And I thought that because I was just operating at such a higher level than most 25-year-olds buying my third business, doing millions of dollars in sales, it wasn't that I thought I was better than anybody because I definitely didn't feel that way. There's always been maybe like some humility there, but the ego was well, I don't need anybody else's help because I'm already crushing. I got this. Yeah. I got this. Yeah. If I had known what I know now, I would have gotten around in a peer group or in a coaching group or whatever much, much earlier because I would have been able to give myself some perspective of like, you're killing it and congratulations, but like you're small potatoes, which is exciting actually, because now I have a new target and and people around me to help me get there. And and I probably just would have grown a whole lot faster, even though I grew pretty fast and, you know, looking at the story, it's like, you know, okay, like well done. It just would have been smoother, like you said, and I would have achieved probably more peace along the way. <laughs> more joy is probably a better way to say it. Yeah, that's that's the challenge of being super focused on outcomes, right? You forget the, the elk hunting moment of sitting on the mountain and just enjoying the view. It's not the hunt, it's the, it's the journey. There's so many fantastic insights today, Chaz. If you're interested in learning more to get involved in a supportive peer group that will really drive fundamental differences in your in your business or life go find Chaz. it's that simple Chaz with a z wolf with an e dot com you just scroll down under here you'll see them in the show notes and the gathering the kings podcast as well get on there certainly listen to quite a few podcasts on Chaz's podcast there they're very very cool and some very cool people uh, mate thanks so much uh, so close to Christmas for uh, stepping away from Julie and the family to uh, come in on the few podcasts. You were very generous with what you shared today. I really appreciate it. It was an absolute honor. Boo, I wish you nothing but success in all that you touch. And uh, thank you for having me, brother. Keep living your genius. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Well, that wraps another episode of The Few. And I'd like to thank our partners, without whom this episode wouldn't be possible. Firstly, Ode Management, an organization that brings world-class speakers into your event or organization to make a profound impact on your people to deliver the results that you want. And Afterburner, real life fighter pilots, a team of men and women who for the past 25 years have helped organizations surpass their expectations, learning the tips and tricks fighter pilots use to win 98% of the time. If you enjoyed the show, please show your support by subscribing to the podcast, The Few with Boo, or our YouTube channel. It's been an absolute pleasure sharing the stories of these remarkable people with you. I hope that helps you keep the dream alive, but more importantly, equips you with a few ideas of how to turn those dreams into reality to help you become one of the few too.